Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. Today I have an interview with author Bethany C. Morrow. This is about her latest novel, Cherish Farah, a book that I devoured toward the beginning of 2022. I am super excited to share this interview with you. Um, Bethany was a phenomenal interviewee. I hope that all of you pick up this book and love it as much as I did. We then will move on to the week's new releases. So let's do the usual housekeeping information and then we'll get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am so, so excited to be talking with author Bethany C. Morrow about her latest novel, Cherish Farah. This was released here in the U.S. on February 8th. And it is so, so twisty and amazing. So, Bethany, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Shannon. You're very welcome. So when I think about Cherished Farah, it's kind of a hard book to describe to people without giving things away. Exactly. So can you sort of give it your best shot of like an intro to the book? Um, I figure if anyone can do that well, it has to be you. It Usually I feel like it's the very opposite because I will you know, because you have everything in your head and sometimes you'll forget what constitutes a spoiler. So ah. try this. <laughs> um, I think the easiest thing to do is to focus on um, Farah, who Farah is, uh, in, in speaking briefly about the story. So Cherish Farah is told from the perspective of Farah Turner. She is a 17-year-old who, in her own words, is cosplaying a regular teenager. She very obviously has a budding psychopathy. Um, she's very much not your typical uh, person, let alone teenager. And no. she <laughs> is one of two, she's one of two Black girls in a very, very um, otherwise white country club community uh, but she's the only one with black parents so her best friend Cherish is a transracial adoptee which means that she is black but her parents are white and so they met very young at the academy in the community where they both go to school 
And um, Farah saw about Cherish, she saw something in Cherish very early on, which is uh, something that she calls WGS, which is white girl spoiled. And it can sound like it's almost a harmless sort of um, term of endearment, but because it's Farah, we should uh, always assume that she she means something much more specific and complicated. And it's that Cherish has been raised Yes, with an awareness and sort of a, you know, her parents are very thoughtful and intentional about raising a Black daughter. But at the same time, um, of course, they they are not Black and they they wouldn't um, they wouldn't know what they don't know. So she's also sort of being raised in this extremely affluent, very, very exclusive um, community in, you know, where a white child would would typically be. And there's a coddling that comes with that, that even in, in other children creates, you know, just an out of touchness that I think we've all witnessed. And in Cherish, it creates something like a void. Um, she's coddled almost to the point of incompetence. She doesn't make sense in the world as it actually is and so she kind of only makes sense in this bubble that her that her parents have created and Farah sees and recognizes that and therefore knows that this is someone who uniquely needs her approval and also therefore someone um, that she can sort of not sort of but control and and somewhat own they have a very intense and close relationship that's not unlike you know the very intense um sometimes toxic uh friendships that we have as, as teenage girls um that that we can see get a little too dependent and a little too um interwoven ah yes oh i i have like so many questions i'm trying to figure <laughs> out the best way to ask them um you know without uh, diving into the the forbidden spoiler territory. <laughs> um so before this you've written some fantasy um and I think a little women retelling is that right it's a remix so it's definitely ah. a retelling but it is a, okay. it's a it's historical it's historical remix um of the March sisters that is very, very cool. That is actually sitting on my iPad right now. I have not started it yet, but it is hanging out here waiting for me. It is very different. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like yeah. Compared to the other stuff that you've written, Cherish Farah definitely seems like a departure. So how, like, where did you get the idea, not so much for the book itself, but like just for, for Farah? Like, how did you get to know her as a character? Where did she come from for you? Well, the interesting thing is that if you if you look at my if you look at my um my personal library, the Bethany C. Morrow Library, you start with Mem, which is um speculative literary fiction, and then yes. there's the anthology, which is contemporary um stories, one of which I contributed myself. Um, and it's on everyday resistance. And then you have A Song of Low Water, which is a contemporary fantasy about misogynoir, um, followed by um, a chorus rises, which is about the limits of privilege when you are a black girl, regardless of how beloved you have been, how easily the world um, turns on you and how little bandwidth they have for multiple black girls at once. Um, and then you have so many beginnings, which I which I wrote because it was a way to tell a story that excavated American history um, and and dealt with the reality of um 
dealt with the reality of the Reconstruction era, but also of uh, it challenged the the canon, the fantastical whiteness um, and exclusionary um, nature of the canon itself, and what it means when we canonize um, and make things like scripture that cannot be cannot be disliked and cannot be um, disputed and cannot be removed from reading lists and uh, everything that that does. So when you look at it from that perspective, Cherish Hair is not a departure at all. Um, my my entire brand, because it can't it can't be a brand that depends on genre or um, or category because I write across them. My genre, my brand rather, has always been indicting the American imagination and um, and social commentary. So that's very that's obviously very, very present <laughs> in Cherish Fera. And I, I write in the genre that the story, the concept that comes to me is in. I don't I don't try to uh I don't try to establish myself in one spot and then force all of the stories and concepts that come to me to to fit into that. Um it's really important to me that they're always that they're always authentic um and that the characters are always fully formed and that the worlds are always um really intensely thought out. So all of that is the same across across all of those books. And um, I mean, Farrah came to me and, and develops the same way that any of my characters do. I always say the most important thing to me more even than world building, more than what, you know, genre conventions might exist for that particular genre is that the character, the POV character is the most interesting person in that in that world. That's the only reason to tell that person's story is if they are the most interesting person available in that context. Um, and it's important, um, it's important also that they are fully thought out, that the story never bends because, or then that they never bend because it would be easier or because, you know, so the difficulty mm -hmm. with her is that she very obviously was immediately a very particular type of person, a very singular type of person and a very atypical kind of person. And I think that as a writer, I always just um, allowed her to continue sort of um, expanding. But I do know that when I was writing to uh, my my dear friend of my CP, um, Amy Sue Clark, because she's the author of Girl 6, or sorry, Girl 11. Pardon Girl me. 11. Um, this is also on my iPad. Oh, yes. I oh I adore. I adore Girl 11. Um, I, it also makes me want to talk about the book that she's writing right now, but I can't do that. Um <laughs> But she's a thriller writer and, and she's just absolutely amazing. But when I when I write, I tend to just send her stuff literally as I go. And so she'll just get, you know, chunks at the end of the day. And all of my subject headers while I was writing Cherish Farrow were like, what's happening? What's wrong with her? <laughs> like, So I'm like, you know, so I had this really strange congestion going on because like I I was allowing her to be who she was on the page. But like I, that didn't mean that I completely like understood, her, you know, why she was why is the why is the main character of this story this person and sometimes i think you know there's a divine part of writing that we that we don't always talk about because there's no formula to give people about it but it a lot of that sort of writes itself sort of weaves itself create it you know the complexity sometimes happens very organically and the reasoning even if i don't know what it is when i start some part of my brain obviously does because it becomes relevant um, and it was really important because Farah is the story we think we understand before we know what the story really is. Oh, but we don't. No, but we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. 
We can't. (laughs) I really appreciate you kind of peeling back those layers and really talking to me kind of in depth about your brand and kind of how you see your books as opposed to just, you know, okay, this is a fantasy Mm -hmm. and this is a thriller and this is your historical fiction, because I think it's easy to just get stuck kind of on the surface of, of genre and not really look deeper at like what what do all of these things have in common right. across the lines of genre and perhaps you know readership so I, I really appreciate you kind of taking the time to discuss that a little bit and help to put that sort of into perspective where now as I continue to read your work I can actually see that and you know really appreciate that for what it is mm-hmm. meant to be instead of just various books in in various genres right right it's definitely not sort of that it can it it looks like you're if you do some because I think we're accustomed to authors um whether by their own design or because of the of the industry's design of sort of uh, making a home usually in a genre and category um and I'm a storyteller and I can't I would never be able to promise somebody yeah, the next three things I write are going to be in the same genre. Like, I don't know how I would possibly know that. Mm -hmm. So in terms of things that you do know about your books, like as you're writing them, did you know Farrah's story? And I mean more sort of like the broad strokes of Farrah's story. Like, did you know what was going on um, in in Cherish's family? Like, did you know kind of all the nuts and bolts of their, okay. So you knew that kind of from from the start? The way that I knew that I, that I was going to write a thriller is because I knew the twist. Um, oh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I, I, I don't think that I'm the uh, the type of person who would say I want to write a thriller, and therefore let me cook something up. It was more, oh, okay, well, this is something. This is this is a perspective shifting revelation that won't come until the end of the book, and now I've got to. And now the whole rest of the book has to be a red herring. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was and so, so brilliant in that way. Like I had and, no right. idea. And and so that's, and so that's, you know, that's why it's a, that's why it's a thriller because it is because it, you know, by definition was a, was a thriller. Um, so I knew, and the, the thing that, the, the, the thing that's difficult about that, but that I really love about that is, like I said about character, characters have to be authentic. And, and the, the easiest way to get me to stop reading something other than just not having a melody to your prose is, um, is a character that shifts according to the author's needs. Um, a oh, character yeah. who, you know, is sacrificed basically for ease. I don't, I, I can't, I can't appreciate that in any way shape or form so with Farah, particularly her being the type of person she is it has to make sense that she can be so cunning and so strategic and so and also have in you know just ingrained because almost of those qualities a blind spot the blind spot has to be true to her strengths it has to be true to her personality. And so it was making sure that she realistically is missing things, even as she's studying everything. 
And I think what's interesting about that is that sometimes it almost seems like she she knows what she's missing, like that she kind of has a, a glimpse of it. And then at the same time, it's like, no, you know, maybe not. It's, like maybe it's, she is she completely has, unaware of that. She has a narrative not just about other people, but also about herself. Yes. Um, which is that she is, as, as most, you know, psychopathic people um, who who are potentially dangerous, because obviously that's not true of, of everyone. But if you have this psychopathy and um, and you do favor control and the sorts of things that that Farah favors and, and clings to and values, you also likely believe that other people aren't as intelligent as you, aren't as observant as you, which is probably true much of the time. But even if you think about the way, you know, her father is very present. He's, you know, she has a two-parent household, and yet her father is very rarely mentioned. And right. the reason is because, as she says at some point in the story, he's the type of person who can be on the board and be completely unaware of the game. So she just doesn't consider him. He He's not cunning or interesting enough for her to take him seriously. And yet her relationship with her mother is a little different because in her mind, her mother is is very similar, whether, right. you know, that ends up being true or not. Like it is her her perception. That's her narrative is that her mother, yes. her mother sees her. And it's really when you think about it, she has to make she has to make a narrative that fits her other world views, right? She believes that she's the smartest, most cunning, you know, most strategic person. If that's the case and somebody becomes aware of the type of person you are, in order for that to make sense, they have to therefore be the same as you because that's the only way that they could ever figure right, it out. Right, they couldn't figure right? it out. So for her, she has to create this narrative. Um, and that just because somebody has a narrative doesn't mean it's not true, right? So we have to figure out which of her narratives are true. Um, but but her narrative about her mother is absolutely, if you can see me, it's because you are me. Right. You know these things from sort of a personal right. experience or because personal no one lens. Else know me. And it seems so often that, that they don't. Like people seem to have an idea of Farah. Yes. And that idea sometimes is an idea that she has given them, but also just sort of an idea that, you know, they they form on their own. And it's often so far from like right. what we as the reader know right. to be true. I have to tell you that your audiobook narrator is absolutely amazing yes. for this book. Angel Peen. Yes. I yeah. had the audio um, as my advanced copy and it was just so good. She's a narrator that I'd never heard before. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of fell in like both because of the writing, but also just the way that she seemed to like voice Farah so yeah. well. Yeah, I was very, I was, it was extremely important to me to be able to be involved in that process. Um, as somebody who has had obviously multiple books released and therefore multiple audiobooks, you come to realize that um, the audiobook, first of all, is not meant to be um, an adaptation, which means it's, no. meant, it's meant to be the same as 
the book, right? And for a lot of, and it is, and, and for a lot of people, this is the only way they're going to engage with the story or ever hear the story is through the audiobook. And so it's extremely important that it actually tells the story that's on the page. And we are just so, we're so used to our own interpretations and, and sort of having to make decisions as we're reading that a lot of times I'll hear audiobooks and be like, oh, that's not how I thought that was said and even saying the same words depending on the way you say them can really imply a completely different meaning and I've and I've had that happen before so it was really important to me with somebody as exact and sort of singular as Farah, and because it's told from her perspective and because you're hearing both her internal uh monologues and and you're also hearing the way that she engages with people which many times is a is an act it was yes. really, really important to me that the that the narrator the director really understood that and um and and that I got to have some more in-depth involvement than you than you might you know typically have with an audiobook so I was I just absolutely loved I absolutely loved um having any part in in the audiobook and and making sure that it's it's anyone who listens to it is getting the same book it is really masterful, and I hope that a ton of people will pick this up and totally embrace this book, you know, through your writing, but also through her yes. like, bringing it to life. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you my very favorite question, because authors so often have the best answers to questions like this. What have you read recently? that you want the world to know about? Oh, I will tell you a very, very honest answer, which is that we are three years, we're going how many years into, the, we're on year three of this pandemic. And one of, one of my wounds has absolutely been um, my capacity to read, my ability, my bandwidth really oh. to read. And I have read so few, so few things during the pandemic. And sometimes I honestly wonder if anybody else is experiencing this because it's getting really painful <laughs> not to be able um, to do something that you really love to do. I'm, the, the shift that I've recently made is I'm getting essay collections. I'm trying to read things that have, you know, little little complete units within them to feel some sort of completion. So I, I recently got um, the, the new collection by Zora Neale Hurston called You Don't Know Us Negroes. And I read the first two essays and that did, it was just so, it was so wonderful because to be able to engage with her language and the fluidity of her, of her particular brand of, of storytelling and folklore just felt so wonderful. It felt like actually getting to engage with reading um, again in a way that I haven't really been able to sustain for full um, full length fiction. And so I also have been reading from um, Bell Hooks's All About Love. I've read a couple of uh, chapters of that. I'm I'm basically just trying to strategize and like find all of the different ways that I can I can feel like I'm engaging with this because I have I have felt like it has been such a it's been such a wound for me it's been such a it's been such a, a one of the noticeable things that sometimes we don't know everything that is happening to us internally because of this uh, you know prolonged global traumatic event 
Um, and then the, what, three or four other pandemics that are going on uh, right now, even just in our own country. Yes. Um, it can, sometimes you, you know, you're not okay, but you don't know how to even track it. And for me, reading, unfortunately, has become a way that I can see like, oh, okay, there's a lot, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more interruption than I would like to admit, but it's very obvious. That sounds very, very hard um, yeah. for me as someone who reads, you know, voraciously pretty much every chance I get. It's hard for me to imagine how that would feel if that was no longer something um, that I felt like I, I could do. I've been buying books more, which is hilarious. You know, the ways that we try to like offset. <laughs> so I've, so I have, I, I, I brought, I have books upstairs and I have books downstairs and I try to allow myself to only keep what can actually fit on the bookshelf in my, in my bedroom. But I've bought so many books over like the last couple of weeks that I looked on the floor next to my bookshelf and I was like, oh, I have stacks again next to the bookshelf. And that means that all of these are brand new. Oh, your um, house is filling up. I just, I'm like, the thing about books that I appreciate, that I absolutely adore, that I say to people so often is that um, the books that you own can't expire. So I, I'm basically like, looking forward to when I am myself again and when I have this bandwidth back and I'm and I've just bought all of all of this like all of these treats for for that inevitable time when I feel like I get my brain back and I can actually read more um and I just I, that's just something that I love about about having physical books around me I I still get enjoyment from buying these books I still get enjoyment from supporting these authors and I know that they will be there when I get there. I think that's one of the best things about books, no matter yeah. how you you engage with them, like they are sort of always there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that your your kind of reading um, juices get going again sometime soon. So that you can, you know, begin to read all of the fabulous things that you've bought yeah. over the past little while. Yeah. And I really want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today and to let my listeners know a little bit about who you are as a writer and who, who Farah is as your protagonist. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. You're welcome. Could you let listeners know the best place to find you online before we disconnect here? Yes, the best place to find me is always going to be Twitter because I cannot, I cannot quit it. Uh, my <laughs> handle is at bcmorrow, b-c-m-o-r-r-o-w. It's the same handle for Instagram, but I feel that you will probably be disappointed at least a little if you go there um, because I am a word person and I am just you know, the ongoing conversations and commentary and everything that happens on Twitter is just where my home is. So um, I also have a website, BethanyCMorrow.com, which is just the easiest way to be able to click on a book cover and figure out where to get it. Awesome. And again, this has been a discussion with author Bethany C. Morrow about her latest novel, Cherish Farah. All right, so 
As always, I'm going to start out with a list of books that you've heard us mention before on the podcast on our most anticipated releases of July episode. I am super excited for the new novel from suspense author Jennifer Hillier. This is Things We Do in the Dark. I'm guessing that Brooke, Melissa, Natalia, and Georgina will also be looking forward to this. Um, I think Christine has also read some Jennifer Hillier, so she's probably going to grab this as well. Um, Georgina is looking forward to the new Barbara O'Neill. This is This Place of Wonder. Sarah mentioned the contemporary romance The Bodyguard by Catherine Center. Kristen is looking forward to another contemporary romance. This is an FF romance. This is Can't Resist Her by Kiana Alexander. And she and Stacy are both very excited for the new J.R. Ward book, which is Darius. It is Black Dagger Brotherhood, 0. For, yeah, 0. 0.05.5. I don't know how they number these things when they do like the prequel novellas, but it takes us way back to the beginning and we get to see how the story of Darius first began. And this is of course, Darius. Stacy is looking forward to the new Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. This is the daughter of Dr. Moreau, which is a retelling uh, with kind of a historical and horror bent. So those are books that we've talked about before. So let's move on to some books that you haven't heard us mention. I'm going to start with a few historical titles. We have Switchboard Soldiers by Jennifer Chiaverini. She wrote um, Mrs. Lincoln's Dressmaker several years ago. Um, she also wrote a book about women's suffrage. But this one, Switchboard Soldiers, um, is set during World War I, and it is about the U.S. Army Signal Corps, which was made up of women. And we get to know more about this and learn some of their stories. So this is Switchboard Soldiers by Jennifer Chiaverini. We then have The Stolen Book of Evelyn Aubrey. This is by Serena Burdick. I've read a couple of her books in the past and really enjoy her writing. This one is a dual timeline novel that focuses on Evelyn Aubrey, who marries a novelist uh, named William, and he apparently betrays her by stealing some of her own work and passing it off as his. Unfortunately, the audio of this will not be coming out until November 1st, but if you want it in ebook or in print, um, you can get it now. That is The Stolen Book of Evelyn Aubrey by Serena Burdick. We have another uh, dual timeline novel. This is The Secrets We Carry by Deanna Lynn Sweaton. And it is um, set during the Russian Revolution. So we get to see um, this woman who's fleeing Russia during the revolution and trying to make a new life for herself. And then there's a contemporary piece um, that I think takes place you know, right around now. Um, I've never heard of this author, but I definitely want to pick this up. It is the Secrets We Carry by Deanna Lynn Sletton. And we have one more historical. This is The Sky Club 
It's by Mary Roberts, and it is about a woman who is abducted from the mountains of North Carolina. Um, she is a mathematical prodigy, and we focus kind of on her life and what happens when she's taken out of the environment that she was raised in and is, you know, kind of forced into this new existence. This is The Sky Club by Mary Roberts. I have a couple of science fiction and fantasy books, starting with Despair Man. This is the latest from Mary Robinette Cole. Um, you may recognize her as both the audiobook narrator for the October Day series by Seanan McGuire, but she also is an author in her own right and has written um, the fabulous Lady Astronaut series that Kristen recommended to me a couple of years ago. But this one is a standalone, and it is about a couple who are on their honeymoon. It's an interplanetary honeymoon. Um, and, of course, things go wrong. There's all kinds of catastrophes. So it looks like it's kind of a sci-fi thriller, and I am pretty excited for it. It is Despair Man by Mary Robinette Cole. This next book will make Amber very, very happy. This is Heat Wave, The Extraordinaries, book three by T.J. Klune. Um, Klune has written The House in the Cerulean Sea, which I know Amber really likes, as do a lot of other people. Um, he's written a series, um, I think it's called Green Creek. The first book is Wolf Song. Um, but The Extraordinaries is one that Amber has talked about on the podcast before, kind of some YA fantasy with disability representation and some very cool LGBTQ themes. So this is the third book. It looks like it's the final book in this series, and it is Heat Wave, The Extraordinaries, book three by CJ, I'm sorry, by TJ Klune. Moving in to some romance here. Um, we have The Accidental Pinup. This is by Danielle Jackson. It is an enemies to lovers contemporary about rival photographers who are forced to work together on a body positive lingerie campaign. I am on hold for this at my public library. I am very, very excited for it. And it is The Accidental Pinup by Danielle Jackson. We also have a new Lauren Lane book. This is You Again. Um, I've never read Lauren Lane, but she is someone that Natalia really likes. Um, she does some very, very like witty contemporaries from what I've heard. Um, a lot of them are set in New York City. Um, if you like, um, oh, I'm going to stop there because I can't remember the author's name that I'm trying to compare her to. You will have to take that out. Um, so anyway, this is You Again by Lauren Lane. I know this author has a lot of fans, so definitely pick this one up. We also have the new Julie Garwood book out this week. This is Grace Under Fire. It is Buchanan Renard, book 14. Um, this one is Michael's book, so if you've been reading the series, you are familiar with Michael, and you are probably very ready for his story. 
Um, he is paired with a woman uh, named Grace who inherits some land in Scotland that people do not want her to inherit for various reasons. Um, Julie Garwood has written so many phenomenal books, both historicals and romantic suspense. This one is Grace Under Fire, Buchanan Renard, book 14 by Julie Garwood. Okay, I'm going to end today with a couple of thrillers. We have The Life She Had by K.L. Armstrong, which is a pseudonym for Kelly Armstrong. Um, a lot of us on the podcast love Kelly Armstrong for her urban fantasy, paranormal romance. She's been doing some time travel stuff recently, which is super cool. But under the name Kale Armstrong, she has also started writing standalone thrillers. And this is the latest one. Um, it is, of course, about secrets, people, you know, kind of hiding their pasts, trying to make new lives for themselves. And, of course, other people trying to expose them. So if you're a fan of Kelly Armstrong, of, you know, any of her series, like her Rockton books, which are also kind of thrillery, um, but she has written under the Kelly Armstrong name, then this is one that you'll want to check out. It's The Life She Had by K.L. Armstrong. And lastly, I have The Swell by Allie Reynolds. This um, is being published in the UK as The Bay, but here in the US, it is The Swell. This is um, about a trip that a few friends take to a place called Sorrow Bay, and this trip goes terribly, terribly wrong. Reynolds wrote Shiver, not too long ago, which is also kind of one of these destination thrillers where people travel to a certain spot and chaos ensues. So if that is the type of thing that you enjoy, you might want to pick this up. I know that Brooke um, talked about Shiver on the podcast a while ago as something that she really enjoyed. So this one is The Swell, and it's by Allie Reynolds. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. I hope everyone is doing as well as you possibly can, and of course, reading all sorts of great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. <laughs>